Welcome to episode 195 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to earn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, AKA it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration and electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right. You can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 195 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm good. How about you? I am great. You sound super great. What's super great? (laughs) That was like a more emphatic great than usual. I'm really, really fantastic. Are you aware of what happened this past weekend? Well, no. I'm not aware. What was it? Taylor Swift (laughs) released a surprise album. Oh, yeah. Definitely not aware of that. This is the second time she's done this in quarantine where she doesn't say anything and then she releases an entire album 
I always feel like I have to defend myself being a Taylor Swift fan, but her first album is the best-selling album of 2020, and I am obsessed lyrically with Taylor. And do you use Spotify? No. Okay. You know what it is, though, right? I mean, yeah, I do know what it is. No, I'm, I have Apple Music, so I listen to Apple Music. I'm an Apple girl, so I listen to Apple Music, and I listen to my podcast through the Apple Music app, you know, so... Well, so Spotify, they give you a your year in review thing and they show you like your top artists and your top, you know, song and everything. Well, obviously mine was Taylor, but the shocking thing was it told me I was in the 0.5% of her listeners. I feel like you have to listen to a lot of Taylor Swift to be in the 0.5. Hmm. I'm probably in the 95.5 or 99.5, I should say. I can't, I don't know. I mean, I, there's one song I know that I've heard that I liked. Which one? <laughs> I don't know the name of it, but I know I liked it. If you like saying all of them, I'd be like, yeah, that's the one I've heard. All too well? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Very few things just like light me up with the amount of excitement that I was lit up with. Well, I'm so glad to hear it. So you don't listen to Apple Music. You listen to Spotify. No. Yeah, Spotify. I've been a Spotify person since... Since it came out, really. I remember when it first came out and I was like, wow, how is this even possible? The idea of just listening to just whatever you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, there has to be a catch here. Yeah, there wasn't. Look, I'm old enough to remember the days of Napster when everyone was just giving away their music for free and illegally. (laughs) (laughs) And always wondering if like you were going to infect your computer with... Because on Napster, you could get anything you wanted and it was all free. Anything. Yeah. And and it was all terrible. It was ter- now that I understand how we were all, you know, <laughs> stealing music. It was bad, very bad. But I didn't know they actually started suing people who had it. Do you remember that? No, I was probably off of it by them because I'm such a rules follower that as soon as I realized, oh gosh, this is not just like listening to the radio because <laughs> I remember they brought out the scare tactics. I think they like locked up like a few. I don't know. They, they sued some people kind of like my age who were using it for like, I mean, it like ruined their life basically. Well, you know, now that we are, you know, producers of content, you know, like books, I, I completely understand, you know, like if all of the books we ever wrote were now available for free illegally and people were just able to share them, that would be terrible. If people paid for the show and then it was... Right. As soon as I realized it was wrong, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm breaking the law. Get it off the computer. Yeah, exactly. Because I I like to follow the law. (laughs) Anyway, but it was fun while it lasted. And now that we have Apple Music, everything really is there or Spotify or whichever you like. It really is amazing because, you know, you used to have to buy them one by one. I mean, you don't even remember the day of like driving to the music store. I'm sure. Listening to 45s. Did you have a record player? Oh, no. Well, I do now with my Taylor Swift albums. On a record player? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Vinyl. That's so funny. We had vinyl, everything, but we had little 45s. Have you ever seen a 45? I think I have. I think my dad has some. Yeah. That was the way to do it. You'd go get the one little single, and there was always something on the other side, and you'd flip it over. Then you would play them over and over again. Good times. (laughs) Good times. I remember cassettes. Yes. That's when I was like, because Chick-fil-A had all the, we talked about this before, the, what is it? The virtues, the. They had cassettes that you could get. I remember that. 
Yeah, the freedom with music now is just remarkable, though. So I'm glad that there's another album. She's been very productive, it sounds. I have one more really exciting announcement actually related to the content of today's show. Well, awesome. What is that? It's so exciting. You know what it is, though. I think it's really exciting. Well, share the excitement. All right. That's that. Shall we jump into our questions for today? Yes. To start things off, we have a super short question, but the subject is question for Jen. It's from Sally and Sally says, hi, Jen. What made you keep going at your second attempt at IF? When did you start seeing results and what results did you see? So maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about your first versus second attempt. And really, I did not keep going at my second attempt, nor my third. It was multiple, multiple. I mean, I first (laughs) heard about intermittent fasting in 2009, and I've talked about this many times over the course of this podcast and intermittent fasting stories and even in in my books and in the mindset chapter of Fast Feast Repeat. And I tried it multiple times, many times over those years from 2009 to 2014. And, you know, for anyone who has Fast Feast Repeat, you know, I I really get into why it didn't work for me in all those attempts in the mindset chapter. There were several things that were the problem. First of all, I didn't understand clean fasting. In fact, no one did because everyone really thought that intermittent fasting was only something that helped you, quote, eat fewer calories. So, you know, we thought that anything that was zero calorie was going to be fine. And even if you had just a little bit of calories, that was probably also fine. And so fasting was really, really hard. I was white knuckling it all the time because I was not fasting clean. Second of all, I didn't understand about the adjustment period and that your body needed to get fat adapted. And so I would start and stop. And then so I I feel like I was constantly trapped in the adjustment period. My body never got fat adapted. I just kept living in the hard part, never got through to where it was easier. Plus, I wasn't fasting clean, put all that together you know, it was doomed to fail. (laughs) And third, I expected weight loss to be linear. So I would do it for a few days. It would be hard. I wouldn't lose any weight. And then I would quit. So the time that it finally stuck, I still wasn't fasting clean yet. Because remember, this was 2014. It was well before the obesity code. It was before we understood, you know, the hormonal things that go on in our bodies while we're fasting, but I had been doing keto that that we just talked about, that keto summer that I had, the summer of 2014. I didn't lose any weight, but I was in ketosis. You know, I had a ketone breath monitor. It was one of the early ketonics models, and I was doing keto, and I would blow in the ketonics, and I would get red, so I was making ketones, but the way I was eating and, and you know, I wasn't tapping into my stored body fat. I think it was just all the fat I was consuming, putting me into ketosis. But it was at that time that I shifted to intermittent fasting because I was like, you know, I'm not losing weight. I don't feel good. Keto is not working well for me. I am going to do intermittent fasting. At this time, it's going to work for me. Darn it. And amazingly, that was the time I never did quit. I think that doing keto for that whole summer, you know, obviously my body was making ketones. I was fat adapted. And so 
suddenly intermittent fasting was easier than it had been before. I also remember, Melanie, this is how little I understood at the time. I remember a post that I had made on an intermittent fasting group I was in. It wasn't one of my groups, obviously. I hadn't started one yet. But I remember I had like a cheeseburger and fries. And an hour later was blowing on the ketonics and registering a red. I'm like, I'm already back in ketosis. This is amazing. Well, no, that's not what was happening. Those were ketones that I had made during the fast. And I believe that obviously I was excreting them through my breath, even though I had just had a cheeseburger and fries. I was, I thought I was back in ketosis. <laughs> it would be amazing. I didn't know what I was talking about. It was, you know, before, before we understood that, or before I understood that fasting got you into ketosis as well. And, you know, the whole, now that we understand about liver glycogen and glycogen depletion and all of that. So, you know, fasting was easier because I was fat adapted thanks to the keto. Also, I immediately started losing weight finally after that whole summer of not losing weight with keto. And also I was weighing daily and calculating my weekly average. So I saw the weight loss, even though my weight fluctuated day to day. I saw week to week, my weekly average was going down. And so finally, I I saw success. So that was why when I write Fast Feast Repeat, I'm emphatic about not expecting weight loss during your first 28 days. And even when you do have weight loss, don't expect it to be linear. First of all, your body has to adapt. And then you have to be aware of how weight fluctuates and that it's only the overall trend that matters. Once I made that shift and understood it was the overall trend, then I could stick with it. I wasn't looking for down, 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 because that's not what weight loss looks like. And I just felt so much better after not feeling good doing keto for that whole summer, reintroducing carbs and intermittent fasting at the same time, feeling better, seeing the results I was looking for. That was when it truly, you know, over time turned into a lifestyle. And I didn't understand it was a lifestyle still, you know, as I was losing the weight. It wasn't until later when I started to understand the health benefits, intermittent fasting is more than just weight loss. You know, it it took me becoming educated. The more educated I got, the more I realized this is something I would do forever. So there it is. (laughs) Anything to add? Our experiences were the complete opposite. I was like, I'm going to do this for a week, and then I never stopped. You were eating paleo before you started? Low carb. You were low carb. See, again, though, we both transitioned from low carb and started doing it. And I never quit again. See, that's the thing. At when, when I started in 2014, you know, I never quit again. So, Yeah, mine was low carb, IF, and then paleo. That was like the, the transition. Yeah, awesome. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of my favorite things for truly taking charge of your health, including testing something we talk about all the time, your insulin levels. So to live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source that would be your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things that you can take control of to optimize your health. 
What I love about Inside Tracker is that Inside Tracker tests provide optimal ranges, not conventional ranges, for over 40 biomarkers, including magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, ferritin, which is the storage form of iron that is rare for doctors to test, ApoB, three key female biomarkers, and something I am so excited about, Inside Tracker recently added insulin testing to their ultimate plan. Friends, I am thrilled about this. We talk about insulin all the time on this show. It is so relevant to your metabolic health and your lifespan. In particular, insulin tracking is an early warning sign for several chronic diseases and is a key indicator of energy optimization. It can really let you know if your diet, if your fasting is working for you, you want to test your insulin. It is so hard to get doctors to test insulin, and now you can do it with Inside Tracker. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker actually provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, our audience can get 20% off their ultimate plan, which includes testing that insulin when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash IF podcast. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And one of the things I really love about InsideTracker is it helps you track all of your results, all of your tests over time, so you can see patterns, see your history. It makes predictions of where you'll be if you continue on your current trajectory. It is a game changer for making sense of your labs. I am obsessed with Inside Tracker. Again, you can get 20% off their ultimate plan, including testing your insulin levels at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And we will put all of this information in the show notes. All right. We have a question from Michelle and the subject is in search of lower insulin. She says, dear Jen and Melanie, thank you for changing lives. Jen's advice about not chasing ketone readings makes sense to me. As your body uses ketones more efficiently, your blood ketone level may drop. I'm wondering if I can use my blood ketone levels for a different purpose, so please bear with me. I would love to be able to directly test my insulin levels at home, but alas. As I understand it, a higher ketone reading should indicate a lower insulin level. For example, if ketones were 0.5 to 1.0, insulin would have to be fairly low. Is this true? Do we know if a certain ketone level corresponds to a certain range of insulin level? I accept that the converse doesn't indicate anything, so I could have lower insulin without having high ketones. I tend to have pretty high ketones, fasting around 24 to 22.2 with the occasional longer fast. I'd love to take my ketone readings as a good insulin sign. I am not diabetic or pre-diabetic, A1C 4.9, but I do wonder if I have some insulin resistance, and I'd love to have a gauge on how certain foods affect my insulin. Best wishes to you both, Michelle. All right, Michelle. So thank you so much for your question. So my initial thoughts are that there is most likely the correlation with the exception of, I was just thinking that this follows up pretty appropriately to what you were just saying, Jen, because 
you know, you had that experience where you measured ketones, but it was right after eating a cheeseburger. (laughs) So it really would depend on where the ketones are coming from. I don't think this is the case for Michelle, but so especially if you're following like a ketogenic diet, you could in theory always measure ketones, but there would still be insulin release when you're in the fed state. So you can be producing ketones and be producing insulin. But if you're in the fasted state and you measure ketones, probably your insulin is low, but the whole issue is with insulin resistance, people can experience higher baseline levels of insulin and not realize it. Like if you're generating ketones though, it would imply that hopefully your body is fat adapted and the insulin is working correctly, but I I can't really make blanket statements about it, especially after reading for people who want like the deepest dive into insulin ever. Check out Dr. Benjamin Bickman's Why We Get Sick. I also interviewed him on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. That episode might be out when this show comes out. So if so, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I think in the quote, I don't want to say correctly working body, but if things are working the way they should be, there should be a correlation, but then there could also be lots of other factors that might like finagle it. What are your thoughts, Jen? We don't have a gauge. I mean, she said she'd love to have a gauge about how certain foods affect your insulin. I wish we could measure at home like that, but we can't. Minute to minute, you can't know what your insulin's doing. So like, for example, a friend of mine is using a company called Walk-In Lab, I mean, I don't know anything about that company. She just mentioned that she was using it, and they're able to, like, order the test for you. I'm imagining that they have physicians on staff. They look at your request, and then they approve it or not. But you can actually get that through companies like Walk-In Lab. I'm not endorsing Walk-In Lab. I don't know anything about them, like I said, other than a friend of mine just used them and mentioned their name to me. So that would give you an idea of what your fasted insulin level is. Obviously, you can't do that all day. I wish we had an at-home insulin test or a way to know exactly what it was doing. You know, if you're interested in going down that rabbit hole of ketones and what's going on, there's somebody named Marty Kendall of Optimizing Nutrition, Optimizing with an S because he's from Australia. He is, he's got some really great stuff. I've learned a lot from reading his blog over the years. In fact, some of his stuff on ketone levels actually is what taught me (laughs) that our ketone levels went down over time. So chasing a high, I actually learned that from Marty Kendall. So go to Optimizing Nutrition with an S for the optimizing and dig in through there. He's a, a big proponent of measuring your blood glucose before you eat to give you an idea of what's going on. That's just something there to check out. I wish we did have, you know, we could see how certain foods affected your insulin because, you know, proteins, it's not just carbs that affect insulin. You know, thanks to the insulin index, we know that proteins also affect your insulin levels and even fats do to a degree. The whole idea that fat has a zero effect on insulin is not true. Dr. Bickman actually talks about all of that and why we get sick and Yeah, because actually protein, I believe it releases comparable or even more insulin than carbs, but it also releases glucagon, which has the opposite effect. So it doesn't have the same effect on your overall like blood sugar levels and state as far as the connection to insulin as straight up carbs do. It's pretty complicated. It's also complicated. (laughs) 
I found this one really epic study because I'm, I'm really fascinated by protein. And I found this one study that was looking at protein and diabetics and it was theorizing or going through all of the research on protein and diabetics and because protein can be turned into blood sugar or sugar carbs via gluconeogenesis. And it does like it, that, that does happen, but for some reason it doesn't really seem to affect blood sugar levels and they don't really know why. <laughs> like there, there's all these theories like that the blood sugar that gets produced from protein gets used faster than it would enter the bloodstream. There was, I don't know, there was like three different theories, but I find it so interesting that we know so much about the body, but then we still don't know, you know, really seemingly basic things, you know, like we can't figure that out. Which is why, to me, that helps me to be like, why worry so much about it then? You know, if you're if you're healthy, I mean, look, your A1C is 4.9. So I don't know why it matters. If you're healthy, you've got a healthy A1C. You know, you're wondering if you have insulin resistance. Well, do you have signs that you do? I wouldn't, I just wouldn't worry about it is what I'm saying. You know, if you're healthy and your health markers are good, you don't have to know what your levels are. I know it's interesting, but and sometimes some of the things we don't even, like Melanie just said, we don't even really understand all of it. Yeah. When I found that study, it was so long. It was a review. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever read <laughs> about like, like eating protein and diabetic patients. Actually, I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking a good enough proxy, if she's measuring blood ketones, is she measuring blood sugar though? It doesn't look like it. So Michelle... I think that's what you could measure at home. There's a ratio that you can figure out with your ketone reading and your blood glucose reading. A lot of people are using, I think, Marty Kendall's for autophagy. I'm not sold on that. <laughs> I won't get into that. But with, with to measure your fat burning, basically, they're using it. He's, I think he calls it data-driven fasting, and there are a lot of people following his protocol where they are measuring their blood glucose and measuring their ketones, and then doing some sort of ratio of that to determine your fat-burning state. And people are finding great success with that. I don't want to measure all that, and you know, I know some people do. I actually interviewed someone recently on Intermittent Fasting Stories. The episode won't come out till February, I believe, but she talked about how she's using his ratio, and it's really been helpful for her. The last thing was I did just release the episode with Kara Collier, the founder of NutriSense CGMs. I don't know. I didn't know anything about this. Michelle, if this is like what you're looking to ascertain your level of insulin resistance, wearing a CGM, doing a round of CGMs could, I mean, that for me has been the most eye-opening thing as far as how are foods affecting me. You see how foods affect you. You see like, is your blood sugar level, you know, how is it rising? How long does it take to get back to normal? So rather than focusing on insulin, and we talk in that episode all about like the implications of how it relates to insulin, but I think that would be the thing you'd want to do. I'm writing a guest blog post for Sunlighten, which is really fun. They wanted me to write a blog post on health and wellness trends for 2021. So I had to decide what, what did I think would be the biggest health and wellness trends for 2021. And one of them is CGMs. Oh yeah. I hope so because they're such a useful tool. They're not a toy. They're a powerful tool for figuring out how your body responds. But really, Michelle, I would go get a fasted insulin level. And if you're a morning fasted insulin level, you'll have an idea. I mean, if it's like five or something really low like that or below five, then chances are you're not insulin resistant. 
If it's like 10, okay, that's a good signal that you're going to need to do some work. You don't need to know how it responds all day long. It's that fasted insulin level that'll really give you a good picture. And the good thing about that is I feel like it's not as finicky as... Because wearing a CGM, the one thing I've realized is, oh, your blood sugar could be changing a lot more than you realize. But I think for insulin, a fasted insulin is pretty telling. And I'll give you the ranges that Dr. Benjamin Bickman gives. So according to Dr. Bickman, ideally your blood insulin levels should be less than six micro units per milliliter. Eight to nine is average for men and women, but he says it's not good to be average. You, you would prefer for it to be lower. A person with eight actually has double the risk of developing type two diabetes as a person with five. So I guess anything over nine is above average. In a way that you don't want to be above average. Yeah. Right. And you don't even, he says you don't even want to be average, which is eight to nine. So he would prefer that you are below six fasted insulin. And then on top of that, there's a secondary value that you can calculate if you want. It's the HOMA score. And that one actually considers both fasting glucose and fasting insulin. And it is even more telling for your levels of insulin resistance. At the time that you got your fasted insulin measured, you would also have to have had your fasted blood sugar measured as well. And if you have those two, there's a mathematical formula that you can do that will give you your HOMA score, which is a number. It's complicated. It's basically glucose times insulin divided by 405. (laughs) So random for the United States or glucose times insulin divided by 22.5 for other countries. That is so random. I don't know. I feel like we have provided all the all the potential data we can on this. I think so too. <laughs> That's a lot of data. Yeah. Yeah. Also, don't have coffee before you go because you know, coffee can cause, you know, your liver to dump glycogen, your blood glucose can go up, and then therefore you can have a little insulin surge too. So go completely with nothing but water. Good call. One more last resource for you, Michelle. So I will put in the show notes the link to the episode that I did with Kara Collier of NutriSense. And then if you'd like to get your own CGM or if any listeners would, you can get 15% off. And the link for that is melanieavalon.com slash NutriSense CGM. And I will also put that in the show notes. Listeners, there will be a transcript of this episode in the show notes. So that will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 195. Which also, I do need to plug, I don't know if any of the episodes have aired yet where we asked for questions for episode 200 because we haven't received any questions, so I'm guessing not. But listeners, for episode 200, random plug, it's going to be an Ask Me Anything episode so you can submit any questions you want for that. They don't have to be health or fasting related. They can just be like questions for me and Jen. Awesome. I look forward to the questions. Like what is my favorite Taylor Swift song? Don't ask me what my favorite Taylor Swift song is. I'd be like, that's the one I heard that time. No. (laughs) Shall we go on to the next question? Yes. So the next question comes from Sarah. The subject is hangry still sometimes. Sarah says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I'm a solid three weeks in of doing IF daily, 18.6 to 22.2, eating to satiety, and I am still having days where I'm hangry in the morning. 
And for listeners, 18.6 is where you fast 18 hours and eat for six. And 22.2 is where you fast 22 hours and eat for two hours. She says, I've done one meal a day and I have for years without knowing it was a thing just because I don't seem to digest well and I feel better eating one meal a day. I've gone months and years not listening to my body and creating issues for myself. This is now my everyday life and I won't go back. Can the hangry be from eating late in the evening? It's weird and maybe a coincidence that it's worse on days that we ate late the night before. Thanks for all of the product recommendations. Can't wait to see if I can be headache free with Jai Farm Wines and all that you do. I just found out my aunt and uncle are following you, have read your books and are in love with IF and losing weight and having tons of non-scale victories. Someone told my aunt she is aging in reverse. Ha ha. And then was worried about her when my aunt told her about IF. Thanks for helping people live their best life, Sarah. So Jen, what are your thoughts for Sarah? Well, first of all, I love that your aunt and uncle are following intermittent fasting and aging in reverse. So (laughs) as people around her watch her continue to look fabulous, that won't look so crazy anymore. That's how it seems to work. Once you're successful and you show it, people are like suddenly believers. All right. So your question is, can hangry be from eating late in the evening? Well, let's think about this. First of all, you're three weeks in, so... Even though you've dabbled in intermittent fasting here and there, it doesn't sound like you've like consistently done it. So you're still probably in the adjustment period and hangry is more likely during the adjustment period than it is once you're adjusted. But the question, can you be more hangry in the morning if you eat late in the evening? Let's think about this. Why do we feel great and have lots of energy during the fast Well, it's because we're tapping into our fat stores as we go through the fast. I actually feel better. You know, I might have a little wave of hunger right around hour, I don't know, 14, 16, something like that. And then on the other side of that, I feel fabulous. So if you eat late in the evening to start counting from then, you're not going to be as far into the fast by the morning. So depending on what time you stopped eating... If you stayed up really late and ate till like midnight and now it's morning, you're only maybe seven, eight hours into the fast. So you're really not in the fasted state yet. So yeah, you would be more likely to be hangry. Just think about, count back and see how far you are into the fast. That could really play a role in it. What do you think about that, Melanie? Two main thoughts. One was that that exactly, (laughs) that you're not, you know, you're not quite into the fastest state yet. That said, I really associate the hangry feeling with blood sugar regulation issues because I find people who, if they are eating and they don't have blood sugar regulation issues, they, they don't tend to ever get the hangry feeling. It's really the people who have sort of difficulty transitioning into the fat burning state. Like the body's a little bit like hesitant to do it for whatever reason. I think that's when the hangry feeling comes in. Yeah, I think so too, which is why the fact that she's only three weeks in is also very important. It could be that the context of when she's eating late, it could correlate to meals, not, well, she already said she has digestion issues. So maybe meals not digesting as well. Maybe macronutrients not really working for her. Like it, it could be a combination of things, but it could possibly be something about the actual meal itself, like the contents of the meal itself rather than the timing. 
or like those together, the factors together. I If I'm eating really late at night, it's probably because I'm out and I'm off my schedule and I'm eating different things than I would normally be eating. So all that plays in, plus the fact that it's not as many hours since I stopped eating. It's just a lot of factors. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. So I'm glad you said that. Like it, it often correlates to a like a slight disruption in your normal eating pattern that might be something more suitable to your blood sugar regulation and your digestion and everything. Let us know if the dry farm wines makes you headache free. I'm giving my mom a box of whites and I'm giving my dad a box of reds for, for the holidays. I'm so excited. Yeah. By the time this comes out, the holidays will be over, but that's what I'm giving Chad. I'm making sure he's not like listening the box of reds. That's right. For listeners, if you'd like to get a bottle for a penny, our link for that is dryfarmwines.com slash ifpodcast. Awesome. I highly recommend it. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Speaking of, (laughs) the next question. I did not plan this. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Well, I could definitely answer this one for with some data of my own. All right. So this is from Kelly. The subject is alcohol effects on resting heart rate. Hello, ladies. I've been listening to you and following IF slash one meal a day since January. I'm down 10 pounds and I'm loving this lifestyle. So thankful that my coworkers introduced me to this way of life before quarantine hit in March. I have a question regarding alcohol and resting heart rate. I notice when I go for more than a week without alcohol, my Fitbit says that my resting heart rate could be as low as 56. But when I go away to the beach on the weekends and have a good amount of wine and white claws, but all within good limits, of course, my resting heart rate can skyrocket up to 64. I also notice on the beach weekends when we are less physically active with alcohol, that also makes the RHR go up. Just wanted to know your thoughts on this. Thank you for always having great insight and topics to discuss on the podcast. I truly learned so much from you both, and it makes keeping this lifestyle maintainable and achievable that much easier. All right, Kelly. So thank you for your question. Oh my goodness. (laughs) This is one of my recent obsessions, the resting heart rate. So... I talked about this before, but I actually did just interview the CEO of Aura Ring, which I've been wearing for, I don't know, like a month now or so. It's so, so cool. During the nighttime, it measures your resting heart rate, measures your heart rate variability. It measures your body temperature. It measures your activity levels during the day. It measures your respiratory rate and it gives you a really good idea of if you're recovering from your activities, how your body is doing. Because basically for some terminology here, so our resting heart rate is, it's the consistent rate of our heartbeat and lower is typically considered to be better. It does go up when you're exercising though. So that's why they call it resting heart rate is what you're looking at. Heart rate variability is the amount of time measured in milliseconds between heartbeats. And what's really interesting is you would think that you want your heart rate to be like very consistent. Like, I mean, that's intuitively what I would think, but what you actually want is it to be more erratic because it shows that your body is adapting and reacting to stressors. So like a constant thumping on a pattern, that's actually signifies the stress state. Because if you think about it, when you're really stressed, what happens? It's kind of like you're on alert and it's like, ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. <laughs> Sound effects by Jen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. It's like not changing. Compared to being more fluid and reacting to everything that comes at you, there's a time lag and a time difference in between heartbeats and that's heart rate variability. So you actually want more heart rate variability. That was just some information for listeners. So things that affect resting heart rate, the cool thing about Aura, I'm just pulling up my Aura app, is it gives you so much information and a lot of 
education as well, surrounding everything. What's really cool is when you wake up, it tells you based on how you slept because it measures your, your sleep cycles and your restfulness and your sleep efficiency and all of these things. So based on how you slept, based on your resting heart rate during the night, which is what Kelly is referring to, based on your activity the previous day and some other factors, it gives you a readiness score and it tells you like, how ready are you to tackle the day? And it really makes it personal to you. So it'll say like, you're great. You're rested, you know, go hard today. Or it might say like, you know, you, your resting heart rate was raised last night. You didn't sleep. Maybe you didn't sleep as well. Maybe you should take it easy today. Like it, it makes it very, very specific. Like I thought it was going to be kind of like a generic, like maybe one of five options that it gives you, but it, I mean, it like literally gives you very, very specifics. Like mine today said I had a readiness score of 84 and it said, your resting heart rate lowered late last night because it should lower or raise at certain times during the night. So I guess the fact that it lowered late in the night wasn't as good because it says your resting heart rate lowered late last night, but your overall readiness is still good. If you feel tired, how about taking a rest day? Some light relaxing activity can help you get back on track. So things that affect resting heart rate, what did she say that hers was? She said as low as 56, but it skyrockets to 64, which doesn't seem that high. That's pretty low. That's pretty low, I think. Like mine is normally low 50s to mid 60s. Like 65 is normally the highest that mine goes, but I don't consider that skyrocketing at all. In their app, they say that the normal average is anywhere from 40 to 100. And slightly below your average is a good sign of readiness. An exceptionally high or low resting heart rate indicates that an easier day may be in order. It says an intense training day, a late night workout, elevated body temperature, or a heavy meal just before bed can keep your resting heart rate elevated during the night. And alcohol can also affect that, which Kelly is asking about. So my thoughts on it, Kelly, are that yes, rest alcohol affects resting heart rate, but I don't perceive yours as skyrocketing. (laughs) Right. 64 is still a really good number. (laughs) Like, can I give an example from mine? You know, I have not been drinking. I feel so much better. But I looked way back when I was doing my predict study and wearing the CGM. I had a night where I drank a good deal of, it was dry farm wine and it was champagne, but I wanted to see, you know, how it affected me through the, through the predict three study. But I went back to that night on my my bed. I have a sleep number bed and it measures things like heart rate, heart rate variability, breath rate while you're sleeping. My heart rate skyrocketed (laughs) to 81 while I was sleeping from alcohol. So And my heart rate variability went down. So I do think mine skyrocketed, but alcohol 100% made my heart rate skyrocket. And then I didn't get a restful sleep. That right there was such important data. When I realized when I got the sleep number bed and started tracking, that was when I realized, gosh, my body really has a different sleep (laughs) when I drink alcohol. You know, now I know that my body does not metabolize alcohol well. I'm a slow alcohol metabolizer, so that makes more sense why that happens for me. So, yes, if you think that it's the alcohol, yep. I mean, and you're seeing it from the data. You're drinking, it's up when you drink, but I wouldn't say 64 is skyrocketed either. Yeah, like I'm just looking back through my data because I usually have 
half a glass up to a glass, probably a glass every night now. And if I do that, I don't see appreciable effect on anything. But if I have a night where I did drink a lot, which I've had a few of those in the past month, I do see it majorly. <laughs> I think the only time I woke up to a readiness score of like 60 something was after that. I was like, it knows. <laughs> it knows. <laughs> so it was really exciting to interview uh, the CEO of Aura. The thing that I really liked about it the most was I was so hesitant to actually use Aura Ring because you know how I am. Like, I was like, so I'm going to overanalyze and there's going to be so much data and I'm going to like wake up and get my score and I'm going to, it's going to ruin my day because I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to like judge everything by this score. But the app is so, and we talked about this in the interview, they really don't want you to have that response. So it really, it never makes you feel like you're failing and it, it's very gentle in how it talks to you. And it always makes you feel like, oh, this is the steps I can take to make it's actionable. Yeah. And and my favorite thing about it is how it, it determines your ideal bedtime. And it does it based on how you're sleeping and how you react based on different things. And guess what? It's not going to say... So if you're going to bed at like 1 a.m., it's not going to say your ideal bedtime is 7 p.m. Like it's not going to say that. It's going to say... Like mine right now says my ideal bedtime is between... It was saying between 1 and 2 a.m., now it's saying like between 1245 and 145. So I think it's trying to like nudge me earlier, <laughs> but he said that it's never going to like give you something you can't do. And if it, it does think you need to be early, it's going to like slowly get you there. It's not going to like, it's not going to try to force early bird on <laughs> late night owls. So for Jen, it would like, it's 9 PM time to go to bed. <laughs> Why are you still awake? <laughs> Well, what I asked him was because my sleep score to determine your, your sleep, like how well you're doing at sleep, it looks at your total sleep, your efficiency, your restfulness, your REM, your deep sleep, your latency and your timing. And your timing is the one where that does involve circadian rhythms. So like you can only have a good timing score if, if the middle midpoint of your sleep is between midnight and 3am. I'll have nights where I actually get like really, really good scores on everything except timing, which is just like a zero because I go to bed at like two. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, does that mean it's impossible for me to get, you know, a really, really incredible sleep score because the timing is off. And he said, I can still get, I can still though get like a crown and an optimal score, but I won't be, I won't ever get like a 99 if I'm going to bed that late. I would love for you to get it, Jen, and see what it says about your, your sleep. Well, Sherry, my co-host on the Life Lessons podcast has one. She's had one for a while and she loves it. It's so great. But I love my bed that does that. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I would like the ring itself on my finger. I, sh I would like to try one, I guess. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We'll have to get you one. If I had one, I would wear it. But it's getting one. I just don't know. We'll see. So that was a lot of information. Any other thoughts? Nope. I think that's it. I did take my heart rate while I was in the sauna. Because um, it doesn't measure your heart rate during the day, only while you're sleeping, unless you do, they have, it has this moment option where you can like take a restful moment and not move and check it. So I did it while I was in the sauna and it, it got up to like 99 or something. Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, I'm just laying here. <laughs> One day my sauna will be put together. I know. I was going to say, wait, did it arrive? Oh, it's here. It's in the boxes. The, oh, right. Because you're redoing the garage first. Mm, don't get me started. Okay. never mind. <laughs> 
This is out of my control. <laughs> I will put good vibes. I'm a, I'm a patient girl. I'm really excited for you to... Yeah, me too. I hope it happens while it's cold. Me too. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Remember, you can submit questions for episode 200, Ask Me Anything episode. You can follow us on Instagram. Jen, how is Instagram going? Well, I'm doing it here and there. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, when I think about it, I just don't remember it. I have to remind myself. Now I'm looking at yours. I'm looking at your freezer from Daily Harvest. Yeah. Love the Daily Harvest. It's a lot of Daily Harvest. Well, it is. Is that a mini freezer? No, that's a regular freezer. It's actually a big freezer. It's a old KitchenAid side-by-side built-in freezer and fridge. We just ordered my mom a chest freezer, and then she said she doesn't want it, so we're returning it. She doesn't want it? She Yeah, she said she wants one that she can open so she can reach in. I think she doesn't want to like reach down. Oh, that makes sense. Into it. But yeah, this is just one side of my freezer. I mean, one side of, not one side of the freezer, but one side of my, my built-in it was, I don't know, it's really old. They redid the kitchen. I don't know when they did it, but the, the appliances, they're nice, but they've they've been around since, I don't know, some point in the early 2000 era. Just from looking at the backsplash, that's when they redid the kitchen. But I love my kitchen, so. Everybody is now going to go to your Instagram and look at. And look at my freezer. <laughs> Good times. So yes, you can follow us. I'm Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. I think that is all of the things. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I don't think so. Nothing? Not a thing. Like, you know, I always have so much to say. (laughs) Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.